Hello there. Welcome to Pastors of the Roundtable. This is the Discipleship Podcast of Monroe Missionary Baptist Church, brought to you by Together in Christ, the teaching ministry of MMBC in Monroe, Michigan. We are here um, sitting around the table again this week, and we are continuing our walkthrough of Martin Luther's Heidelberg Disputation that he gave in 1518, where he is laying out his... um, Kind of just stuff that's been on his brain, kind of the direction that he's heading at this moment as we are here in October in um, the month where we remember um, the Reformation, Luther with the 95 Theses. And so we've been um, talking about Luther, the law, and um, mankind's sin, um, doing what we can in ourselves. And this week we are on Theses number 11 and 12 this week. And um, so I'll read these, and then um, we'll talk about these these topics. Today's episode, I've titled it um, The Psalm 51 Life. The Christian life is, in many ways, a Psalm 51 life. So Luther Theses, number 11 and then number 12. He says this, Shamelessness, or it could be translated arrogance, cannot be avoided or true hope be present unless judgment and condemnation are feared in every work. And additionally, the twelfth one is, before God, sins are truly of less consequence when they are feared as death-bearing by men. A writer, Brewer Erickson, says this about these theses. He says, Theses 11 and 12 of Luther's Heidelberg Disputation display the need for both sinners and believers alike to hear the law preached in all its terror and the gospel preached in all its glory every Sunday and in every sermon. The Christian never graduates from Psalm 51. We never find ourselves outside the need for repentance. We never find ourselves beyond the need for forgiveness. So the law must be preached lest we begin to be arrogant before God. The gospel is preached so that we can continue to live shamelessly before him. So that's kind of what Luther is, is doing here in these two theses. He's talking about the fact that in our whole life as Christians, we never get to the point to where we don't need to repent anymore. Um, his first thesis of his 95 that he wrote was that um, repentance is to be a, a lifelong thing. So it's not like I repent one time in my Christian life, but repentance is something that happens to me daily continuously whereby I have to um, run away from all the things that I trust in in this world. I run away from my own works, from my trust in other creatures, from uh, my sin, from my, my, my values, what I want as a sinner, and instead I turn and come back to God and run back to him all the time into his arms who are ready. He's ready to welcome us and to take us back. But we have to continually do that the whole of our Christian lives. We never get outside the place where we um, uh, don't need to repent anymore. So that's why um, Brewer Erickson says the Christian never graduates from Psalm 51. I remember um, there was a guy, an old gentleman at a the church I pastored before coming in here and one of his favorite passages of scripture, he was in his eighties was Psalm 51. And, um, I think that's a, a wonderful testimony because, um, 
he never grew out of that, even in old age, as a Christian, never moved beyond um, the need or the desire to repent, to come back to God and to acknowledge um, his, his sin. So as we start the discussion here, I'm going to read one more quote, and then I want to throw it out to you guys um, as we kind of kick off um, this topic and kind of chew on um, some of the stuff that Luther has to say here. This is again from Brewer Erickson. He writes this, Luther himself had experienced this desire to trust in the created things as a substitute for the mercy of God. Unfortunately, the danger has not lifted since his days, even among Protestants who claim his legacy. Rather than Christ lifting the heavy burden and giving us an easy yoke of grace in the system that Luther reacted against, grace became a burden and a prerequisite for a life of works. A parallel can be seen today when in modern Christianity, the forgiveness of sins and the pronouncement of grace are reserved for and preached to unbelievers while the law is reserved for faithful Christians, perhaps under the guise of discipleship. The reasoning behind such insidious theology is that because Christians already believe they do not need to hear again that which they trust in, the free forgiveness of sins and imputation of righteousness on account of Christ crucified. Instead, it is believed they should be prodded to do good works of some sort. As regenerate believers, these are possible for them to do now, and because they are possible, they are also necessary if one wants to truly call themselves a Christian. The effect is the same as it was in Luther's own life. Faith in Christ, our sure and certain hope of salvation, who alone is necessary and needful, is gradually and very subtly replaced, and the believer is led to focus on attaining a false confidence in works. So guys, I'm going to throw it here to you now. Have you ever noticed what Erickson here is describing um, based off of uh, kind of with the same themes that Luther's talking about, that there are ways, even as believers, under the guise of discipleship, that we can lead people to actually place a false trust in their works. Maybe they're not going to say, I'm getting justified by them, but they're actually leaning back into those things. Um in a, in a way that's <clears throat> misplacing their confidence. Um, and they're probably doing it for good motivations. Have you ever noticed that before? I'm sure I have. I mean, I think that's a fine line, though, because there are works that, gonna re- that are going to result from our salvation of being justified. There is a, a way, then, that we live that would be different. And so... We want to do that. Discipleship is a good thing, and discipleship part of discipleship means teaching people how we then live in light of Christ and what he has done for us, which means it means law. You know, like, here's the law, and this is what we want to try to keep. Um, what the line is, though, where it starts to fall into people putting their hope in that and not... You know, not firmly in Christ. I don't know what that line is. I've definitely seen it in people, I think. So let me ask you this. In churches, one of the things I think we've all seen is um, what can happen is the gospel message, we often think that's for the unbelievers here. But your message of how do I now live, law, is for believers. And so what happens is sometimes Christians can think, I don't need to hear about the forgiveness of my sins. I just need to hear about how I can do better now. Does that make sense? 
And so, yeah, like, they, no, and I, that's what that's right. that's what he yeah, mentions. Yeah, I'm just saying I article. don't know what the line is, though. I mean, that's to me that's a motive in, in an individual's heart that I can't judge. And as a as a leader, I guess I would want to continue to stress in discipleship classes over and over again that our hope is found in Christ. Our salvation is in Him. Our justification is in Him. Our righteousness is, is is His righteousness that He has given us. But in light of that, in light of that, there is a way that we're going to live. There are things that we are going to do and things we are called to do. So let's. Let's learn to do those and to do those things well in light of the gospel. And so I'm sure there are people, though, who listen to that and still base their value on their works, you know, and they're not fully trusted in Christ and they have a down day because they've sinned some and they, you know, whatever the case might be. Um, I know for me personally, I don't want it to get to that, but I'm sure that... uh, I, I'm, I'm guessing all of us as Christians struggle with that to some extent where we get back to the where we get back to the uh, law and we start to find our worth in the law not in in the gospels that makes sense. I mean I guess I haven't seen it like a I think one of the thematic I was gonna point out like I I don't think I've ever personally experienced that in a church. Um, that kind of dynamic where it's like the gospel's reserved for sinners and now it's just a bunch of rules for you to live. I've not personally experienced that, but I can imagine, like I know, I have family members who go to um, what we, I guess you'd call very revivalistic type churches that they regularly host revivals. Um, and I think they see those as these are the times of our church's evangelism where we're coming in, we want people to come in and hear the gospel. Um, but I could, I, I could imagine, based on just my knowledge of those family members, that that gospel is not being preached on a regular Sunday morning um, that they're hearing. So I, I can imagine that happening for sure, and I think it does. And I think his point here is very clear to that the gospel needs to continue to be preached to a believer because it's what's going to continue to motivate. It's going to continue to... Because the believer is not perfect, you know, they're going to continue to sin. And, um, and yeah, so it can definitely, under that kind of system, where you're only ever hearing, you have to do this, 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 that they forget the very gospel that brought them in in the first place. Um, so, yeah, I see the, the warning that Luther's talking about. That yeah, I think sense. another thing, too, with the gospel, I mean, for believers, they, they we need to hear the gospel regularly because that's where, where our rest is. That's where our hope and our peace is. And so even if if you're teaching the law to believers and saying, you know, as believers, this is how we then thus live. We care for the poor, right? We we uh, love each other. We, we bear each other's burdens. These are things that Scripture says that we, that we do. That always has to be balanced, again, with... Um, but our hope and our rest isn't found in us doing that well. Our hope and our rest is found in Christ who has done it perfectly and has sustained us. And so the gospel has to continually be proclaimed to believers or else, like Scott was saying there, we tend to start basing our rest and our hope on our actions and on our works and on the law, which then is going back. It's going backwards, right? Yeah. I think one of the ways this happens <clears throat> is whenever um, – under the and again i don't think he's saying discipleship is a bad term but he's saying he's talking about modern or certain forms of discipleship i really like for him to give specific examples of what he means i think one example i can think about is a mentality that can happen which is maturity and christian growth equals the um 
ability to stand on your own two feet as a Christian. And there's almost this idea in some Christian circles that the more I grow in grace, the more I grow up in Christ, the less dependent I am on grace. We don't think of, we don't say it those words, but sometimes what we're saying is instead of you growing, um, we, we start to think that the more I grow up in Christ, the less forgiveness I'll need because I'll sin less and I won't need it as much because I'm getting better with all my works. I'm becoming holier. I'm doing better and sinning less. When actually I think the opposite is what happens. We actually grow into dependence more and more on grace in our lives rather the, rather than we grow out of dependence. And I think sometimes the way that we talk, I'm, and I'm not asking for people to be immature, and I'm not saying, I'm just saying that there is a mentality, I think, amongst people that whenever they hear us say um, discipleship or uh, mature in Christ, that can be interpreted, whether it's intended or not, as meaning I will reach this point or I am gradually on the upward hill climb to where I am, I am getting out of dependence on grace and the need for forgiveness and confession. And I'm more and more about, I'm really able to, to do everything to God's glory now. And so we become more and more thinking that it's about us being able to do things in our own strength. But Paul actually flips that upside down and says, it's actually whenever you're weak that you're strong. But we interpret that, even the gospel growth as disciples, in terms of human strength. That's not making an excuse for sin. That's, but I think that is a mentality that can really frustrate people. Yeah. Because I do think that is, I think that is predominant in all of our churches. I think you'd be surprised. I think we, I wouldn't be surprised if most Christians in all sorts of churches, that is the, the model of Christian growth that they have. And the opposite is actually what the Bible teaches. I think. Yeah. When I said example, and you, I mean, you're, I understand what you're saying with that mindset that people have, but mm-hmm. I'm not, I mean, when he says in his, in the quote that you wrote here, uh, while the law is reserved for faithful Christians, he's talking about like a, a teaching, like somebody teaching something, right? teaching the law, perhaps under the guise of discipleship. Yep. I'd like to know, cause I don't know anybody that's teaching that, Hey, you should have this mindset. But of just like give me an example of something that you would say is what, under the guise of discipleship I, in church, but is really just unhelpfully teaching the law. I think what I don't know exactly what he would say. I'd say one example though could be is if you think we do the gospel here, but then once you get in, by law, it can be anything you should do. So your sermon messages or your Sunday school classes or whatever are only filled with here's how you can have a better family life. Here's how you raise your children better. Here's how you be a good Christian at work. Here's how you glorify God in evangelism. Here's how you do these things. So law is a broader category, I think. So and we're not saying no one is telling anybody to trust in those things for their salvation. But there is an emphasis that I've grown beyond the need to think about the cross and forgiveness and um, those kinds of things. It's time for me now to get, it's time for me to get busy and doing. And not that we don't, we don't encourage those things, but if, but I do think there can be a, a wrong placed emphasis in church life teaching um, 
I think this I think this is a hard one because we would uh, how do I want to put this? I think the gospel always needs to be there and present, like you're saying, right? But those all the almost all those topics that you just talked about would make good Sunday school classes and are necessary. And I don't think you're saying, and I don't think he's saying, you should never learn about those. No. You're talking about a balance. Well, then that that question is, what is the what is the balance? I guess is if you are going to do six Sunday school classes. Do you always have to offer two that are gospel-laden, specifically gospel classes? Like, that's all we're talking about is the cross. We're going to talk about the resurrection. And the rest of them, the other four, are going to be some more practical ones about those who are are Christians, and you you know the gospel, and so this is how we live. Is that an improper balance? Does it need to be three and three? Does it need to be four and two the other way? Is it wrong if you one time did six practical ones? Is it wrong to do six just gospel ones? And then same with the messages. If you're preaching 52 messages on a Sunday morning, and I think all of us would agree in here that those services are for believers, we don't gear our less, our, mess, our services towards unbelievers because this is believers gathering together to worship. So then what's the appropriate uh, way to handle those messages? Now, I think all of us in here would say every message is going to have gospel and law in it to be an appropriate message. But we also know that there are passages that are definitely more law-based. There's others that are more gospel-centric. And so to, to sit here, I don't think we could say a number. I think that'd be, I think that'd be hard to do uh, is to say a, a number and a percentage because we can't ever get away from the gospel. Even the Sunday school classes that are practical are going, if they're good classes, they're going to have the gospel in it. They're going to be, it's going to be talked about and discussed, but in light of the gospel, then this is how we then mm-hmm. thus live. And so again, I, I just think it's, I think it's hard. I can think of... But that's the problem, though, I think, is I don't think he nor would I say that it's about a number. It's what flow, it's what it's the mindset that drives all of that. Yeah, that's but I, behind I, don't, it. I don't think you can get away from that. I don't think you throw the baby out because of the bathwater and that is... No, no, right? no. So but I'm saying I it's the to, mindset I know, behind so I, that. Right. So as leaders, I think what we have to do is constantly be saying this is the gospel and this is what the gospel is and this is the importance of the gospel and we can't get past the gospel. But also in light of the gospel, this is then how we live, right? This is thus what we do, these types of things. That has to be said often so that our our church family is hearing it and knows it because, again, as much as I say that, there's still going to be that guy out there, that lady out there who's living off their works and they're living off the law. And I don't want them to do that, but I also i am trying to do everything in my power to not let that happen. Uh, but uh, Satan's blinding them or whatever the case might be. They're blinded to the truth in that. Um, so it's hard. I mean, like when, when that when that question is asked, I think, like, I can think of people who I think fall under this category that we're talking about here. But it's hard for me to think of, like, a system or a... Uh, I can think of denominations who would teach this, right? Like holiness movement. Was that, isn't that right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, there are whole denominations that would stand very much opposed to what, well, we're, I think, what but we're saying. But here. I think the thing is, is it's much more, I think it's much more, it, it's so much deeper than simply denominations that would explicitly teach trusting in your works or even a holiness um, second level blessing. I think this is, um, I honestly think this permeates much or all of conservative evangelicalism. None of them are saying that you're saved by your works, but I do think there is a, um, there is this, um, 
I think in some ways we're just way too impressed with our own abilities at some level. And that's what Luther is really getting at, where he's trying to say the only way to actually begin to um, live before God is to acknowledge the fact that all of your works um, well, he says, right, you cannot, shamelessness or, or you could be arrogance cannot be avoided or true hope be present unless judgment and condemnation are feared in every work. And what he means by that is, unless you realize, because the problem is, is sometimes we get so impressed with our own works, even as Christians, like, right, so sometimes I've said before, like, I'll, I'll be uh, trying to uh, talk to my son, Ryle, or Uriah, and I will be saying true things. But sometimes I'm in my own mind kind of applauding myself and thinking, wow, you did a really good job there. And what Luther is saying is even that, which did help him at the time, and everything I said externally may have been correct, my heart was wrong. And so I still, I can't say, I can't, there's no place in this life that I can say, I did that 100% perfect. And that's why Luther says, you have to believe that judgment and condemnation are feared in every work. Because if taken apart from Christ's forgiving blood over all of that, you shouldn't be too impressed with what you're doing, even with what the Holy Spirit does um, through you, because that is still tainted with your own sin. Um, and so I think because I do think we have a tendency um, to, to either, then that leads us to either despair or pride. And that's what we want to avoid. I think... Uh I think we would all admit, though, even in our good works, there's sin in there. We've talked about that before. You know, even if I go and visit somebody in the hospital, there's probably sin leading in there where it's like, I actually was really eager to come here because I know a new restaurant opened by it, and that's what my real motivation was, or uh, I want them to be happy with me, and so this is why I came. Um, And so that, for sure, uh, with with, uh, number 11 there, that it's impossible, I think, for us to ever do a purely good work. And that's what Luther's just trying to hit yeah, at, right? And, but I think, I'm, I'm hoping that he's going to get here. At some point, though, Luther has to say, but we should do good works. Well, and that's, I, like, and that's I, what, like the book what, of James, right? The book of James. I yeah. think Luther struggled with that. I think he eventually would have to say we have to do good works because for me, if I was, if, if someone told me, Tim, you can go and you can paint the wall, you're never going to do it good enough. And in the end, I'm going to have to come and just do it. My response is going to be to you, I'm not painting the wall then. I don't want to paint the wall. And so what what I understand the Bible to teach in this is I, I don't do any work perfectly. When I'm preaching, I'm not doing it perfectly. I have sin in that. But yet God in his grace and in his, in his miracles that he does all the time can use my piddliness and my work there for his glory and he uses it and makes something out of it. And that's where then I have to recognize, you know, God is the one working in this, but God will work in you and your weakness. And so in that though, I'm allowed to be happy. I'm allowed to of not co- prideful, I guess, but just like, thank you God for, for using, for using me. And so, um, that's a balancing act, I guess, maybe in my mind that I'm having to try to keep. It's like, I know I'm sinful in this, but God, you are using me, and I'm thankful that you are using me, and I don't want to get too far up from pride, but I also don't want to be just so down thinking, well, then what is the point of all of this at the same time? You know, you know does that make sense? No, I think what, what Luther is trying to hit at is it's only by realizing <clears throat> your sin and, as we will get to next week, um, your bondage of will that you're actually then able to be set free. 
you're only free then. And what happens is, and I see this, um, I've got some one person in particular who is... Um, Courtney? No. Oh. <laughs> no, this is a, a preacher. Oh, okay. On, but, like, um, but sometimes I think... Um, here's what happens, is we become so obsessed with getting everything exactly right in our lives. Because um, if we are obsessed with our works as Christians... We're not free to just be just to, because Luther's point about doing good works is, yeah, you're free now. Go do good works now. You're free, man. The, that's different than modern evangelicalism, which is often saying, yeah, you got saved. Now it's time to get to work and you better make sure you do everything exactly right. And I do find like and so, for instance, there's a guy. I mean, there's a there's a there's a, a you know, some pastors that no question is not too uh, specific for them to try to answer and apply to your life. Instead of just letting people go free and and um, being free then to love their neighbors, we can so load people up with prescriptions and applications that we actually put them under a new law um, to where they're 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 weighed down with well, how do I how do I share the gospel exactly right at this moment? Or, or we're putting people under pressure to go and evangelize every single person they come across. They're not actually then free anymore. They're under so much weight and bondage actually that they're almost, that they're, they're not, they're not experiencing the, the burden of the law and the condemnation being set free because now the, the yoke of Jesus doesn't become a yoke that is one of rest. It becomes, yeah, you're forgiven, but now I'm going to throw this yoke on you and it, you better start getting to work. And we turn Jesus into a new Moses where he's got all of these specific commandments and I better figure them all out um, so for what? my life, for my marriage, for everything. And that's what it, this is not a question of whether or not we should do good works. It is a question of, of being too impressed though with our good works. See Luther's, I think emphasis, which I think is the gospel, the Paul's emphasis is, um, now that you're free, go be free and walk in the spirit and love your neighbor. And um, and the law is there to hammer you whenever you're not doing that and to convict you and to bring you back into Christ. So um, there is a. So, but how do you how do you teach people to love your neighbor? How do I teach people to love their neighbor? Well, I think, first of all, it's the Ten Commandments that convicts them. The fact that they're not loving their neighbor. And then it always is motivated from Christ. I'm I'm fa- fascinated by how often Paul will say, uh, "So marriage, well, how, husbands, how should you love your wives? Well, do you remember how Jesus died for you? Well, um, uh, you know, like um, but wouldn't you? I mean, could, right? I'm just saying how the gospel back? comes back always to yeah. it. Paul, for Paul, he his his gut instinct is to just go back. But I know for a lot of men, that's a heavy yoke when you say that to them. That they would come, they might say, "You're just throwing a yoke on me." What yoke? You're telling me to die for to my, love wife. my wife the way Christ loves. <laughs> yeah, you're her. telling me to sacrifice everything for her, and that's super heavy. I just want to be free and just, just kind of love her, you know. But but what you're telling me is is huge here, which I would agree with. But I don't think it's wrong to tell what you said. I I 100 agree with. I would say absolutely. But I do think some people would come back and say. This is a burden that you are putting on me. You're not right to put that burden on me. And I think we would say as pastors, all of us in here would say, it's actually our job is to, these aren't burdens as in things that you have to bear. It's 
Christ has done all of this. Thus, this is how we then. I would respond. say, I would say that's a burden to you, insofar as it's a burden to the old man in you, because the old Adam in us always considers those kinds of things yeah, as a I think burden. That's a good response, yeah. and that's where the law then has to kill that person yeah. again and say the reason why it's a burden to you is because. There's still Romans seven. There's still the old man in you Mm -hmm. that, that hates God's law. You have to be own that. And that's what Luther's trying to drive us to, to own that part of ourselves, because there's so much of us that doesn't want to own that part, that there's a part of us that doesn't believe the gospel that refuses to believe the gospel. So is this an individual level thing or is this a systematic thing? I guess, because I guess the way it came across, I think with the question is more systematic, but I think it's more individualistic. I think I think I could teach it and present it very well, but the old man and these people are going to turn it sure. into something wrong. And it's like, right. no, that's not what I was and getting that's, at. I, that's something that I was going to say. Like Spencer, you were given some examples earlier of teaching and the way it comes across and the the burden now that people are loaded up with of all these yeah. things. Now I've got to go do and. Like, I'm thinking, like, I don't think I've ever actually heard someone teach in that kind of way, but there definitely could be people who are receiving it like that, right? Yeah. So, like, they're, that yeah. what's what's communicating that is not what we're teaching. And i am I'm been more on the line of, like, what we're actually teaching because that's what the quote from Broer Erickson was saying is that, like, under the guise of discipleship, mm-hmm. we're actually teaching people the law. And so I've been thinking more in terms of not the individual, but of like, so what do we teach mm-hmm. from the scriptures? And because um, the way it kind of comes across, um, and I, I think I agree with with it. I think I'm 100 percent in of what being said here, but it comes across, I guess, the way that with the systematic thing was like, you are 100 percent wrong every time you tell somebody, hey, it's wise to read your Bible. It's it's wise to love your wife. It's wise to share the gospel with your neighbor. Oh. It's wise to, here's the Romans road. Like, this is a helpful guise. This is a helpful way to maybe, or ABC. This is a helpful way to share the gospel. And how it come across a little bit is like, that's wrong. What you're doing is wrong because you're just law. That's just law. And it's like, I think I'm trying to help people. <laughs> that's what I think I'm trying to do here. You, no, know, what I, you know what I'm no, saying? No, I think what it is is we... <laughs> We, you've t- we talked about this before. You mentioned law and gospel, and I don't think that's a distinction that we've, that many people have really, uh, uh, I mean, I don't, I mean, I never grew up with that category. I mean, I may have had, you know, yeah, I, I knew we weren't saved by works, but <clears throat> whenever we say these kinds of things, or like when we read Luther talk about the law, we start to think, well, he doesn't, he just doesn't like the law. And that's actually totally false. Luther had an extremely high view of the law of God. He just thought we couldn't do it. And he thought the gospel was the solution to that. And I think that the key thing is, is the law is good and holy and righteous. That's what Paul says in Romans 7. It's spiritual. The problem is, is the law can never provide the fuel to keep itself. The law, one of the things that uh, Luther's um, uh, guy, right, one of his right-hand guys, Philip Melanchthon, said, is the law always accuses and the, I and I in my Sunday school class I had a picture of Nathan the prophet and David's down or something and, and Nathan's pointing right at him saying you are the man and that's that's what the law does it points right at us and says you are the man and um, doesn't mean the law is bad it means I'm bad 
And the, but the good news is, is the solution is the gospel. But we can start to think that the way, for instance, sometimes I think in the battle against personal sin, we should remind people of the law because the law is good and it's meant to convict us. It's meant to scare us. It's meant to make us uncomfortable and feel shame and to feel guilt. But on the other hand, as Christians or pastors or people who are encouraging those who are struggling with sin, the way out of that sin is not by climbing the ladder of obedience. You just can't. The The ladder of obedience is not the way. So you can't stop sinning by telling people to start obeying. It just doesn't work. You have to, the, the only thing that will stop them from sinning is the Holy Spirit and the application of the gospel and the conviction of the law, ultimately that will convict them of that. But the only thing that can actually change a person's heart is the blood of Jesus Christ applied by the Spirit. But I think there's a suspicion that we have that if we do that, we're letting people off. We're letting people off with cheap grace. Well, I think the good news there is that the Holy Spirit does give us the power to overcome sin. And he changes us. And he changes us. He does it. Because, again, I think all of us can look in our life, hopefully, and see how God has done that in some areas. We're not free of sin, but I'm sure there's people out there who cuss a lot less than they used to. Right, who my wife sure does. <laughs> you know, just I mean, a lot not perfect, but it's a lot less. You, you got a little work to do you know, sometimes on this podcast. A couple slips here and there. Yeah, yeah. you know what? Yeah, that's great. Right. Yeah, that's point, Dave. Yeah. Yeah. A few more than everybody else. Too. Sanctification <laughs> is a process. Yeah, there's grace. Don't worry. But absolutely, I mean, and I think it's fair to preach it. Like we we do need to preach sin and that sin lurks everywhere and everything we do, and we need to be realistic of that. But also, I think we're allowed to share to those who are believers to say, but rejoice brothers, because the right. Holy spirit allows us to overcome sin. And when we do sin, we're forgiven of our sin through right. the whole, through, through the work of Christ. Remember mm-hmm. this. And and that's why for me, I'm okay of saying go and do better, but it's always do better because the Holy spirit's in you and you, he's working in you to mold you and make you into the image right. of Christ. Right. And, and I look forward to the day mm. when there's no more do better. Right. It's, it's complete. Well, well and but, it's, it's like what Paul says, right? It's no longer I who live. It's right. Christ who mm-hmm. lives in me. And so that's actually the, the good news of this is that's the hope of the gospel is Jesus actually does change us mm-hmm. and he promises to, and he forgives us every single time we fail and we confess that we come back to him and he does change us. Mm-hmm. And that's where I think at the, the third question I got there, how does the law and sin drive us to Christ, right? Christ is the end of the law. Romans chapter 10. He's the end. He is what all of this is meant to drive us to. So the reason why we talk about this bad stuff, this sin and our the, the weakness of our works, is not an end in itself. We're not here to glorify our inabilities. It's not meant to do that or to just like get some kind of weird satisfaction of sitting in the darkness because that doesn't help anybody. The ultimate point is to drive us away from even the good works the Holy Spirit does through us to Jesus Christ alone, to Jesus only, to where he is our healer, he is our savior, he forgives us, he pardons us, he sends the promise of his spirit into our lives so that we now walk in the spirit and not in the flesh anymore and that we are now able to put to death the deeds of the body and to put on the new man in Christ. We are able to put off and put on because we have been clothed with Jesus Christ now. He has come to us. He has saved us. 
And I think what ultimately this should do is to destroy all confidence in ourselves, but give us supreme confidence in Jesus and his sincerity towards us. His will towards me and you is goodwill. And he loves us and he has the power to change us. But the wonderful thing is he's not only able to do it, but just like that man that came to Jesus right after the Sermon on the Mount, there was that a leper and he came to Jesus and said, Jesus, if you will, you can heal me. The question with that man wasn't, is Jesus able to heal me? But does he will, does he will to do it to me? Does he want to do it? And Jesus says, I will be cleansed of your disease. And that's the, I think that's the most wonderful thing in the world mm-hmm. is that Jesus is sincerely willing to save me and heal me. Yeah, no, I completely agree with that. And you said something that like we, that Luther gets a bad rap of not liking the law and that that's yeah. not true. I think my, the, the, the challenge that I have that we've kind of been fleshing out in this conversation is, and again, this is only, I don't know, like halfway through all these theses. I don't know where it's going to be going. And so where will it end up? But I think some of that, like of what you just said, <clears throat> where this seems to be silent for now is this the idea of a Christian sanctification is a passive exercise. And I don't think that you can say that from Scripture, but that's what some of this comes across as, that just hearing the gospel passively then makes you Uh, obey the law like as as a believer like that's the path forward whereas if you're a believer you've been set free from sin the holy spirit does live inside of you and then you have language in the new testament of of striving of making effort towards this that you can have that as a as a believer so i don't think i wouldn't say that i think luther has a low view of the law or doesn't like the law but the way that this some of this stuff is written makes it sound like, no, this is completely passive. If you make any effort towards it whatsoever, then you're relying on your works. Um, that, that seems to be some of the, the clarification that I think needs to be made in that. Does that make sense? No, no, I think that's fair. Yeah. Yeah. What I was thinking of, I think all Christians, I don't know, I don't want to say all Christians, but a lot of Christians get to this point, I don't know if you guys ever did, where you think, wouldn't it be easier just to not be a Christian because I wouldn't think about the guilt? You know what I mean? Where you're like, and there are times where you just think, just go back to being completely ignorant of the gospel. But then at the same time, you're like, well, no, because that's not actual freedom. Like we think that, don't we? But it's like, that's not actual freedom. And and when you read these things about there's sin in every good work you do, it almost can feel heavy. And you're like, I just wish I could go back. But it's like, no, that's not true. That's not true. It's kind of like saying, I wish that. If I had a terminal disease, no one would tell me, and I could just be happy. <laughs> yeah, just let me die. Right. Yeah. Right. And, yeah. And but we don't want that with our salvation. It's like no, this is. It's good to know this, and it's good to recognize the old man in yourself, right? The old Adam yeah. there, because like you said, it drives you back to that hope of of Christ and the promise of Christ, and yes. and that's where the joy is found as a Christian. It's like mm-hmm. I remember MacArthur said once. It was kind of boastful, but I think what he was saying was true. It's like as Christians, we are. We we know the answers. We we're the ones who have the book that tells us what's going on in the world. He might have said we're the most intelligent ones. That might have been something he said. Um, but I got what he was saying was like we see the picture because of sin and all this that a lot of people don't. And so it'd be silly to go back to want to go back. It's but now we can actually deal with it. We can deal with the suffering. We can deal with the pain. We can deal with the sin. We can deal with the law. We can deal with all this. Why? Because the answer is is Christ, which we have. We've been given. 
And so we have that answer. Mm -hmm. And so we don't walk around all struggling and what is happening in this world and what is going on. I'm so confused. And what is going to happen in the end? As Christians, we don't have that because we have, we have Christ, right? And we can rest in him. So anyways, no, for freedom, Christ has set you free. Mm -hmm. That's right. So, all right. Well, thank you for listening to this. Um, Next week, we will talk about freedom of a different kind. Like Braveheart? Like uh, Free Will. Freedom. Free, that, yeah, that is a great movie. What's his name? William Wallace. William Wallace. Yeah. William Wallace. Robert the Bruce. Yeah, we should talk about that. Okay. Maybe we can next time. Scott's shaking his head. Yes, he, Scott has been to Scotland. So. That's a good movie. Yes. Scott's getting Although they, killed, filmed, it in, they filmed it in Ireland. Oh. They Scott's filmed it where? In Ireland. Mm-hmm. So some of the when I was in Scotland, I remember talking about that with some people. They were kind of upset about that. It's probably <laughs> raining too much in Scotland. Yeah, yeah. Like, well, Ireland's not any different. <laughs> as far as Maybe lower taxes. Yeah. All right. Well, join us next week. Take care. God bless. <laughs>